Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to two places, please? Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 26. Hebrews chapter 11, Genesis chapter 26, as in a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Isaac Blessed. Now, we have been studying through the book of Hebrews verse by verse, and then we took the pause When all of the restrictions started, we took a pause and we began to reflect upon the love of our good shepherd. And we just really felt like we needed to understand that we're not going through this alone, that we have a good shepherd that's taking care of us, that's leading us, that is going to minister to us, and that he's responsible for us. And then as we started seeing things come to an end, we shifted to this theme of hope. And we got those shirts made that said, hope is contagious. And we're looking at how contagious a virus can be, but hope is far more contagious. And we wanted to encourage that message through us. So we went from love, uh, really from faith to love to hope, and now we're back to faith again as we jump in and pick up where we left off in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. Because we're moving forward in what has been called the hall of faith. This chapter is a chapter highlighting the episodes of faith in men and women that have gone before us. Men and women with far less than you and I have. Far less technology. They didn't even have the new covenant yet. They didn't even have the new testament yet. They didn't even have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't even have the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They didn't even have veggie tales to have for their kids to watch on TV to learn the biblical moral lessons through different vegetables. But they had faith. They had faith. And they lived from what they knew. They had a true abiding relationship with God. And we have that too. Oh yes, we have different tools, and oh yes, we have different technology, but we have faith. The Bible says that God has given to every one of us a measure of faith. And should we want to wander and should we start to stumble and should we get sidetracked or distracted, we come back to the word of God to stabilize us and steady us and encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. Remember the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. And God's word speaks faith into us and stirs up obedience And these men and women, as well as many others, stand as examples, not so much in their journey. There's not enough room in chapter 11 to give us all of their lives, but rather episodes, episodes in their life that highlight a faithful decision, different decisions that would encourage us in the decisions that we make and that we're we're faced with. So pick up with me in verse one by way of review. It says, now faith is the substance, this is Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God 
so that the things that are seen were not made of things which are visible. And so we began to learn about the faith of Abel, his worship, the faith of Enoch, his walk, the faith of Noah, his work. Then we got to Abraham, his obedience. I I love verse eight, by the way, in the obedience of Abraham. I love this phrase at the end. I have it underlined and highlighted. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And how many of us are in a position in our lives right now not knowing, not knowing where we're going, not knowing what's gonna happen, not knowing how it's gonna turn out, not knowing, and yet Abraham stands before us as a man of obedience that he's went out even though he didn't have the full story. And by faith he sojourned, verse nine, and he waited for that city. Then we came to verse 11, and we learned about Sarah and her faith, that she received strength to conceive seed, and she received the child of promise. And then in verse 13, they all, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on all the earth. Like that this one verse can be the entirety of the rest of your spiritual life, learning to see things with spiritual eyes and learning to be assured by faith, learning to embrace the promises of God, confess them and live in obedience. I mean, this can be the entirety of our life and they stand as examples to us. It says in verse 15, if they had truly called to mind that country which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return, but they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then we learn about Abraham, another episode in his life, when he took his only begotten son Isaac up to Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice in obedience. And notice in verse 19, he accounted God was able to raise him up even from the dead, which he also received him in a figurative sense. And now we come to verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Isaac, if you'd like to write in your Bibles in verse 20 there, you can circle the word Isaac, his name. It means laughter. It means laughter. He was a child that would always remind his parents of the sense of humor of God. You could say that he was a miracle child. Against the odds, despite the odds, God opened the womb of Sarah at such an old age and gave them the promise of the child that was given so many years before. And I like that phrase, despite the odds. Despite the odds, despite the impossibilities, despite the obstacles, God provided a way. In this case, provided a way for a child. And I wonder how many of you can have the same testimony, despite the odds, especially in this realm of children, despite the odds, despite what the test came out, despite what the doctor said, God gave you the desire of your heart, a child, naturally perhaps, maybe through adoption or the foster care system. Perhaps he opened the womb just miraculously, but God is faithful. I think of my own parents who were unable to conceive the entirety of their marriage but God gave them the blessing of children. And I did refer to myself as a blessing, yes. The blessing of children through adoption. I don't know how often they saw me as a blessing or not so much a blessing, but adoption was the route that God blessed even my parents. And you see, God is able to lead us despite the odds. 
despite the odds. I love that phrase because we have a tendency, when the odds are against us, we have a tendency to measure up things by our own strength, our own abilities, and, and our own mind and resources. Like when you're up, like, like for instance, if you're up against a financial situation, many of you will immediately get the calculator out and check the bank account. And you'll click, 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 and if we move the money over here and we take a little loan over here and we put it all, we can get it all together. And then you take those decisions, you make those decisions, you get out of it, you get a, a sense of peace, you get a sense, but, but when you face the odds, you immediately go to the bank account and you immediately go to the calculator instead of immediately going to God of the bank account and of the calculator. Why? Because it's just a habit of ours. It's a habit of ours when we face difficulties, we immediately try to get out of them. I know it's true for me. Like when you begin to balance between faith and figuring things out, I have a tendency to lean toward figuring things out. Uh, partly because that's how God wired me, but also partly because I can be faithless at times. And I could look for temporary solutions to give me temporary peace. And it's always temporary. When we choose to line up things with our own strength and abilities and resources, we severely limit our dependence upon God. Have you ever considered it's worth being reminded today that God allows us and maybe even sometimes sends us into situations that require us to respond in faith? That the situation you're in has passed through the providential hand of God. He knows all about it and he bids you to come by faith, trusting him with your life. I so appreciate the ministry of Pastor Chuck Smith. Let me quote to him, quote from him on this topic when he says, when impossible situations arise, we need to remember that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Can I get an amen for that? Exceedingly abundantly. These battles, he writes, are not against us, they're against God. And no one can move our God. If you're worried or distressed about a problem, you haven't come to a real trust in God yet. The moment you place the whole situation in God's hands, worry will go away. Fear and anxiety will disappear. Rest in God. It's all in God's hands, end quote. And truly it is. Faith, trusting God, with, not with our resources, Zechariah chapter four, jotted down in verse six, says, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And this has been the message to the Hebrew believers, Jewish believers, who have embraced Messiah. They are seeing the fulfillment of the promises of God. They receive Messiah in the promised land. They have confessed their sins. The blood of Jesus Christ has washed their sins away. And yet they've paid a high price for it. Because the old covenant is still being exercised. There are people still worshiping in the old covenant at the temple with the sacrifices. Their family has dismissed them and excluded them. Taken them out and said you cannot. Like treating them as if they never existed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're wanting to go backwards. They're wondering if it was even worth it. And it's like the writer to the Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, but remember, the writer to the Hebrews, well, let me ask you this, a real pop quiz. Who is the author of the Bible? Say it out loud. 
God is the author of the Bible. So when he writes through human agency, through someone like Paul, or 40, 39 other authors, when he writes this, it's like he's saying, if you want to go backwards, you've got to go through the faith of these men and women. You've got to consider Abel because he didn't go backwards. And you've got to consider Enoch because he didn't go backwards. And you've got to consider Noah. And you've got to think of Abraham and Sarah. You've got to think of Jacob, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and on and on the list goes as we uh, study person by person through the book of Hebrews. He says, you've got to go through all these people because they were faced with insurmountable problems and they continued by faith with less than what you and I have today. They, they had a simple faith that, that brought about them a strong dependence upon God. And it wasn't without failures, we'll see with Isaac's life today. It wasn't a perfect life, but it was a faithful life. You know, I want to be faithful. And the Bible speaks to me, if I'm going to be faithful, then I'm going to also be full of faith. And in order for you and me to be full of faith, we need to face the circumstances of life with the choice to trust God not man, not what's in some textbook, not what some professor said, or what some website says, or what's the new thing on social media, or all the things that are pressing in. You know, we live in this culture. You realize that we live in this culture. When you think of culture, I want you to think of this. I don't want you to think of Western culture. I don't want you to think of the United States so much. Or I want you to think of this. When you think of culture, I want you to think of atmosphere. I want you to think of the atmosphere. Because the atmosphere is all around us right now. Even through the mass that you have on, you're breathing in and breathing out the atmosphere. The atmosphere in this particular room is filled with conditioned air, air conditioning. It's on and it's good and it feels great and we're happy when it works and upset when it doesn't. But that's the atmosphere. You're just breathing it in, breathing it out. You're, you're in it. It's all around you. You don't pay much attention to it, quite frankly. It just is what it is. Well, culture is like that. You're breathing in and out the culture in which you live. If you think of breathing and use that as an illustration of taking in and coming out, taking in. So, so you're, you're, you're in the atmosphere of this culture with the way the world sings and has music. The way the world sees this, this the way the world and the culture sees this world is expressed through music. And you go, hey, Ed, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't even listen to secular music. I don't listen to, but, but actually you do. Actually, you do. You breathe it in and breathe it out all the time. I mean, if you didn't notice, you probably just went to the market not too long ago. And if you pause long enough in an aisle with a speaker right above you, there's music playing in the market. And it's probably not music glorifying God, although on occasion, I have heard a Chris Tomlin song at King Supers. So I, I remember it reminded me of the time when I was in the corporate world and I got in trouble for putting a little verse on the bottom of my email and I was looking for a way to sort of insert the gospel in some way. So I found where they had the on hold music. I found the CD player, they had the on hold music and I burned a few um, musical, uh, not musical, but I, I burned a few CDs, uh, the musical version of some old Maranatha songs. And I put all five CDs in there so that it would continue to play. So if you called our corporate business anywhere in California, actually, we were the call center for all of California, and we put you on hold, you'd be hearing a Maranatha song in your ear. I think I got away with it for six weeks until someone complained because they knew what the song was. You see, 
the, the point I'm making is that the atmosphere that you're in is all around you. The world has a way of doing things, culture. They have a way of seeing things and defining things. And if you breathe in enough of the culture and breathe, it's going to come out of you. It's going to bring about a faithlessness in you. It's going to take away your hope for the future. It's going to take away your hope for that city whose builder and maker is God. It's going to take away from you that desire to tell others about the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of heaven and the love of God. The Hebrews were in a place, these Hebrew Jewish believers were in a place where they're being tempted to go backwards. And they were more comfortable in in an environment of works, more comfortable with things that they could see instead of the things that they would believe. And we see in the beginning of chapter 11, faith has substance and there's evidence to it. That we have faith in a real God. And Isaac stands as a blessing to us today as he at the end of his life, verse 20 of Hebrews 11, this is the end of his life. He blesses his sons concerning things to come. He blesses his sons concerning things to come. He is going to lay hands on his kids and bless them even though it's a messy situation. God gave Isaac as a fulfillment of his promise to Abraham and Sarah. He actually lives longer in years than any of the other patriarchs, but he's not given as much attention as the others. He's a reminder of the sense of humor of God, the faithfulness of God. We know that as we learned last time, we learned something about the depth of character in Isaac. So Isaac's only remembered about this blessing episode, but we know earlier from Abraham that that he had a depth of character as Abraham, his dad, taking his young son up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice in obedience to God. Now we know that Isaac, we don't know exactly how old he was, but we know he was old enough to overpower his dad, his old dad, his 100-year-old dad, as he began to process, oh, what's going on here? You know, don't get in your, don't, don't get in your mind Abraham going up Mount Moriah with a, wet, wet, a red wagon and his son's kind of in it, going, okay, dad, let's go up and we'll see what you're gonna do. He's a grown man carrying wood for the sacrifice with the servants, walking up in obedience to his dad and then getting there and going, you know, where's the sacrifice? Dad, what's going on? And yet somehow in that dialogue, he says, no, son, I want you to lay down on the altar here. And what do we read of Isaac? He lays down on the altar. He trusts his dad. So we know there's a depth of character in him. He allows himself to be bound, willing to lay himself down on the altar of obedience to his father, not understanding. I I find in this text today, a couple of things that rise to the the top. You know, the first one is not knowing. The second one is not understanding. How many of us are in situations right now where maybe even this was your prayer life. Maybe this was your prayer life recently. You're just crying out to God and you're saying, God, I don't understand. This doesn't make sense. This is not what I expected. 
And your relationship with God because of the pain and because of the fear and because of the anger and the anguish, maybe even the bitterness, you, you have turned a very dangerous corner where now your relationship with God is, is things will be better when you understand. Even though you really haven't demanded it yet, in your mind you're kind of like, you know, Lord, you need to tell me. I, I'm going to hold out. I'm, I'm not going any farther until I understand this situation. And you find yourself stuck, no longer walking by faith. You know, the Bible instructs us on more than one occasion, but very clearly, jot it down, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Very clearly, first of all, let me read it to you from the New Living Translation so it will adjust your thinking a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing and not by seeing. You might have memorized it in the old King James or maybe uh, the new King James as we live by faith and not by sight. But I like how the new living, we live by believing. There's an ongoing act of believing, moment by moment, situation by situation. The Bible doesn't instruct us to live by understanding. We don't live by understanding, we live by faith. The Bible doesn't instruct us to live by our feelings. The Bible tells us to live by believing. And that's the battle. When you want to think of the battle between the spirit and the flesh, think of it in this way. Walking by faith or walking by sight. Walking by faith or walking by understanding. Listen, there are a lot of things in your life you will not receive the understanding that you're seeking. Please don't take that as a discouragement as much as it is the truth. It, it, it may lead to some discouragement, but I want you to know that there are some things in your life you will not understand until you're standing before Jesus Christ. And I'll promise you, when you're in the presence of Jesus Christ, it will all make sense. And there will be only one response when we are in the presence of the Lord. It will be glory, hallelujah, we worship you. Thank you for your providential care over our lives. I didn't understand it then, I understand it now. And Jesus, you are worthy of my worship. Something like that. We will bow down before him and appreciate his. You know, this is such a big deal, understanding that whole theologies have been developed to answer every single question anyone ever asks. Every single question. Like, like Reformed theology, it, it, they have an answer for every single thing. Listen, the Bible doesn't answer every single thing. The Bible is the complete word of God, but God has left many things to keep us in a place of wonder, faith, and adoration of God. You go, Ed, come on. Where does the Bible say that? Well, in many places, but I'll just share one with you. God tells you and me. He tells us straight up. He says, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. And there are things that are unanswered in everyday life. Now, not to say that if you came, you know, a lot of ministry, I've been ministering as a pastor for many, many years now, and many times the catalyst for you to ask for help for you to call the office to come up after a service to pray is because you have something you don't understand. It's desperate, it's difficult, and it's hard. And you want prayer and you want counsel, want us to open the Bible, and that's what we do. Open the Bible, pray with you. But, but I, I have to say there are so many times where my answer to you is, I, I don't know. 
I don't understand this. This is hard. I'm very sorry you're going through this. Let's pray and seek God. And you, you leave a little discouraged. You're like, well, wait a minute, man. If you're the pastor and you don't understand, then maybe I'll never understand. You're right. Maybe you'll never understand. And the response to lack of understanding is to walk by faith, to trust God, to know that. So when you come, I have a Bible answer. You know, like maybe there's some deep pain. I can say, well, you know, that's the result of sin. I know what the Bible says. And I can give you a theological answer. I can give you an answer that's rooted in the scriptures and the truth of God for sure. But it leaves you a little wanting, doesn't it? It's like, well, why is it so painful? Why is it so hard? Why, why did I? Well, because sin entered in the world. And you go, oh, okay, sin entered the world. But I don't understand why it happened to me. And not my neighbor. Not my uncle. And on and on the list goes. You see, Isaac gives us, and he's not even highlighted for that right now, but he shows us a depth of character of trusting his dad who trusts God with his life. This is an example of him following his dad in the right way. <laughs> his dad trusted God here. He's going to trust his dad who trusts God. We'll find in a moment him, Isaac following his dad in a wrong way. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 26 as we see the overarching entirety. I would encourage you to read through chapter 26 and 27 and 28 this afternoon. Even read ahead. As you know, next week we'll be looking at Jacob and you can just kind of study Jacob's life and be ready for the study next week as we learn about the faith of Jacob. But here Isaac is walking by faith because walking by faith brings confidence, assurance, and hope. Walking by sight brings uneasiness, confusion, and hopelessness. And Isaac, this child of faith, lives by faith. He's the kind of man that sits out in the fields and meditates. He's the kind of man that digs wells, opens them, the living water. And it was about 10 years after this episode of him going up with his dad to Mount Moriah. And by the way, we learned he came back down by faith because God did provide for himself a sacrifice. And that whole picture of Abraham and Isaac and the sacrifice becomes a picture and a type of the Messiah, Father sending the Son and providing a way out in his own sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. That was our study way back five months ago, four months ago, when we left off in Hebrews. And now, as Isaac comes in chapter 26, uh, he's told not to go down in verse 2. Don't go to Egypt. Dwell in land that I'll tell you. Verse 6, he finally settles in Gerar. But notice, before he settles in Gerar, notice the instruction in verse 3. He's told, sojourn in this land, and I'll be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I'll perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. We read the Bible so often, kind of go through these verses uh, like they're so familiar to us that we miss the significance. I do not want you to miss the significance at the end of verse 4 exactly how big this promise is. This is a huge promise. Notice at the end it's in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
Now that seed is pointing forward to the coming of Messiah. And this promise encompasses all of humanity until the end of the age. That's how big this promise is. All of humanity. Through you, Isaac, just like I told your dad, you're a a fulfillment of the promise I gave to your dad. And now to you, I'm telling you the same thing. In you, I'm 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 gonna bless all of humanity. It's through you the Messiah is going to come. It's through you that you're going to get the promised land. It's through you that, that you're going to settle down. It's through, so this promise is before the first coming of Jesus Christ, before the virgin birth, before his 30 years, 33 years of life on earth, through his three years of ministry. It's before all of his healings, all of his teachings. It's before the cross. It's before the grave. It's before the resurrection. It's before the ascension. It's before all the time that you're living in. Do you know, as you're listening to these promises to the patriarchs, that you are benefiting from God fulfilling his promise to Isaac right now? You are part of that. You, you, you are in the Bible more than one occasion. You are part of the fulfillment of that promise because what he said to Isaac, Messiah did come and you're saved and you're still sharing the gospel. And so not only does it encompass the ascension of Jesus, all this time in between, but this promise goes beyond the rapture of the church. It goes beyond the second coming. It goes beyond the seven-year tribulation period. It goes beyond the millennial period until the end of the age and the eternal state for all of those that are saved. That's this promise to Isaac in Gerar in the middle of wastelands, not anywhere near the promised lands as the way we know them today. Proximity there, he's near. And actually he'll be in Beersheba, a part of the promised land by the time we end today. But as you see this promise, it's coming to stir up faith even though he won't see it all. And that's the life that you and I have. God is stirring up faith through his promises, even though you won't see it all. You respond by faith moving forward. And this is a powerful promise, God himself passing on the promises to the patriarchs. And then as he's dwelling in Gerar, (laughs) he he follows his dad in a bad way. Notice in verse seven. Then the men of that place asked him about his wife, and he said, she's my sister. Boo, bad, bad call, Isaac. Becoming a liar, he was afraid. She says my wife because lest the men of this place should kill me for Rebecca because she's beautiful to behold. And then God gets him out of this mess through an unbelieving king, Abimelech, which is the rest of chapter 26. And God appears to him. Notice uh, in verse 12 and 26, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. He began to prosper, continued prospering until he became very prosperous. He had many possessions of flocks, of herds, a great number of servants. And now the Philistines start to envy him. And he begins to uh, find himself in a place of great difficulty. And they, you notice now in his brother, or excuse me, when, as, as you go through, God is continuing in verse 21, they dug, an, his herdsmen dug another well and they quarreled over that one and he's just keep moving from there, moving from there, moving from there. Notice verse 24, now he comes down to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I'll bless you 
and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And there he built an altar. No longer digging wells, now he built an altar, a place to worship, a place to worship. Now, over time, God answers the prayers of Rebekah and Isaac, and she conceives twins. Their names are Jacob and Esau. Remember the Bible says that they were battling inside her room, in her, room, in her womb, uh, in, in her body. And unfortunately, one of the failures that Rebekah and Isaac end up making with their kids is one that is often made, they show favoritism and partiality. And Rebekah, of course, favors Jacob. Jacob was more closing, closer to his mom. And Esau, of course, because of his ruddiness and his, you know, Esau, he was a hairy man. That's why they named him Esau. And he was more of an outdoorsman. And his dad appreciated that about him. And it's at the end of his life that Isaac now blesses his sons. And he is ill and he is having, his eyes, it says in chapter 27, verse 1, his eyes were so dim that he could not see. And he calls Esau's older son and said to him, my son, here I am. Behold, now I'm, I am old. I don't know the day of my death. Therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. And Rebekah was listening. And Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, verse 5. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother. Bring me game and make savory food. Now, therefore, verse 8, uh, obey my voice and do what I command you to do. Go to the flock, bring me two choice kids, verse 9. I'll make savory food for them for your father, such as he loves. And then he'll take it to your father that he may eat it and he may bless you before his death. Verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. <laughs> but I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps dad will feel me and shall seem to be a deceiver to him. And I'll bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. And his mom said, oh, no, let the curse be on me, my son. Ah. Only obey my voice and go and get them for me. And he went and got him, and his mother made savory food. Rebecca, verse 15, took the choice clothes of her elder son, put them on her, put the skins of the kids and the goats on his hands. Verse 17, gave the savory food. Uh, and then verse 18, he went into his father and said, Dad. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And here it begins, verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Was that the truth, yes or no? You guys online, was that the truth, yes or no? Very good. No, he's lying. This chapter is filled with deceit and lies and failure and difficulty and problems and pain of humanity. And yet this is the chapter and this is the episode that's highlighted in chapter 11, verse 20 in Hebrews of great faith. You see, great faith can be found in the midst of great failure. And what God is highlighting here is not the deceptions of Rebecca, not the deceptions of Jacob, not, not all of their, what God is honoring is Isaac believes that God, what God says that there will be a future. He's caught up in it. He's got his, you know, notice how it goes down. You know, Jacob comes in, I've done this, uh, verse 19, 
eat of my game, that my soul might bless me, bless me. And then Isaac says to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord brought it to me. Man, let me tell you, it is possible to be greatly deceptive and to try to be overly spiritual about it. It's like a, a real deep part of deception where you even involve God in your deceptions. And you just don't want to be that far from God. You just don't want to be that place where you blame things on God, your own sinful decisions. That's where he's at. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau, <laughs> hairy. <laughs> and he did not recognize him because hands were hairy like his brother Esau's. And so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, bring it near me and I'll eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, come now and kiss me, my son. Verse 27, he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and he blessed him. And I think this is funny. And surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. So here's a man depending upon his human senses and in a, in a way trusting in the faithfulness of his wife who's not being faithful to, to him right now and not being faithful to his sons. But he wants to bless so he says, therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, the plenty of grain and wine, that people serve you and nations bow down to you, be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. And it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac that Esau's brother came in from his hunting. Verse 31. He also made him savory food and brought it to his father and said, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And that, if this was a movie, the music changes, the lights go down. It's like, who are you? What happened? I'm your son, your firstborn, I Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I blessed him. And indeed he, indeed he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Remember his name means heel catcher or supplanter or usurper. It's, that was his whole life, just always working a deal. For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I've made him your master. And all his brethren I've given to him as servants. With grain and wine, I've sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Notice verse 39, Isaac, his father answered and said to him, behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. By your sword, you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob. This is what favoritism does, parents. This is what 
favoritism and showing partiality to your kids do. It creates hatred in the kids for one another. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning, my father are at hand when I will kill my brother Jacob. So a few things before we head out because we want to highlight that Isaac still, even though he's made a mistake, even though his son has deceived him, even though his wife has deceived him, even though the chapter is filled with failure, there's faith in the midst of failure. And what he's being honored for is his willingness to believe God and bless his kids. It was by faith that he did this. He was trusting God with the future of his kids. He understood the promise. If God was to fulfill his promise to the end of the age, then that included his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids, on through the generations. And so as he ends, he says, I want to bless. I want to lay hands on my kids and I want to bless them and encourage them. And this is a perfect example of this chapter of two people who are convinced in the purposes of God, but they take things into their own hands and they muddy up the waters. They're impatient and they want to help God out a little bit. Just like Abraham and Sarah did with Hagar. Just like Moses did by taking the Egyptian and killing him and spending 40 years in the wandering desert, in the backside of the desert, I should say. And David, he, he experiences in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and the loss of his friends, and yet even the deception was used and overwhelmed by God. Listen, don't take chapter 26 and think, well, you know, if they use sinful means to accomplish the will of God, then maybe I can use sinful means. Not so. God will overrule your sinful decisions to accomplish his will, but you will suffer the consequences of your sin. Don't ever think that sowing and reaping doesn't apply to you. It does. It applies to you and me. That if I choose to sow to the Spirit, then I will reap everlasting life. There will be blessing in my life. There will be peace. There will be strength. There will be faith. However, if I sow to the flesh, I'm going to reap corruption. There will be consequences. And God overrules them. Paul put it this way in Romans 6. Remember what he said? He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God never blesses sin. Or as I was sharing with someone recently, you know, in those difficult times when you've been sinned against, when, when you've been hurt, when great pain has been brought into your life because of the sin of someone else. You know, this happens a lot in marriages and our closest relationships. The answer is not to return sin with sin. And I explained it to one brother this way just this week on the phone. I said, look, you need to tell them that just because your spouse sinned against you doesn't give you permission to sin against your spouse. And just because so-and-so sinned against you doesn't give you permission to sin against so-and-so. The right response, as we learned from Pastor Ian not too long ago, the right response is love, forgiveness. Love covers a multitude of sins. That agape love, it's a supernatural work of God in and through us. Bitterness is never the right choice. It puts you in a prison. And so here they are. You go, well, you know what? God worked it all out with Jacob and Esau. No, there was problems in their life forever on, onward. And the thing about Esau is that he didn't really want the birthright. He wasn't too concerned about the birthright. He mentions it. You know, as he remember it earlier he sold his birthright for a, he was for a bowl of stew. You know, he, he's not so concerned about that. He just wants the blessing. He wants the blessing, but not the birthright. You know what? Because the birthright brought responsibility. 
The blessing was just kind of a personal thing. See, the birthright was the oldest would be the spiritual leader and being responsible for the family going forward. But Esau was only interested in his belly. He didn't want the birthright. He just wanted the blessing. And I I just find today, and I think it's being revealed more and more and more. Listen, church, hear me out, please. I'm just finding so many Christians and so-called believers, they want the blessing, they don't want the birthright. And you say, Ed, what do you mean? I'm finding that there are so many that want religion and what that might bring them, but no responsibility. They don't want to have a responsibility for the culture that they live in. They don't want to have a responsibility for their neighbor. You know, that, that age-old question, am I my brother's keeper? I find that being asked many times now. It's not my responsibility. It's not my problem. I'm glad that didn't happen to me. Those are not words of the believer. Not, those are not words that flow from the Spirit of God in our lives. No, Jesus said this, no greater love has anyone than this, than what? To lay down your life. No greater love to lay down your life. And I don't want to train you and disciple you and teach you and to be among us as believers to say, oh, it's okay, just take the blessings, no responsibility. No, the Bible actually teaches the opposite. To whom much is given, much is required. There is much responsibility and it continues to grow as we mature. It's not enough just to have church and to have religion as long as it doesn't interfere with your life and your plans and your goals. Treating your relationship with God like it's just some side hobby, something you can fit in here and there. Listen to me, hear me out, please. The world is desperate for a tangible touch of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And the view of the church or the view of the love of God is the church. It's you and me, salt and light. But here we are, give me the blessings, give me the blessings. What do you have for me, God? No, no, I don't wanna give you the blessings, I wanna give you the birthright. You are my son and my daughter adopted into the family of God. And with that comes responsibility for our brother and our sister, for our neighbor, for our world and our culture. As anyone would tell you, it's much easier to stand up, to sit up in the stands and call the game down below from the stands. Oh, I wouldn't have thrown that pitch. Oh, I wouldn't have swung at that. Oh, I wouldn't have called that play. No, God doesn't want us up in the stands calling out all the mistakes. He wants us in the game ministering to the hurts and the pains of our culture. Loving people in Jesus' name. Walking by faith and not by sight. It's not the blessing as much as the birthright. It's the birthright, the responsibility. And here's Esau, he's just got a bitter cry because he didn't get the blessing. Oh, bless me, dad, bless me, dad, bless me, dad. No, 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 I want my birthright. I want it all. See, blessings come with the birthright. God is gonna enable you to be the man, the woman, the boy, the girl that he wants you to be at every stage in life. He's gonna strengthen you. I know you're, you're living in this culture where you're breathing it in, breathing it out, but God is bigger than the culture. God has survived every culture that's come. <laughs> every country, every nation, every government, God has survived it all and the gospel's still alive today. 
And you see in chapter 27, Isaac, when he saw that the blessing he gave was permanent, he began to show true faith. You know, if Jonah was known as the reluctant prophet, Isaac would be known as the reluctant patriarch. Only when he realized that the blessing was going to be on God's man regardless did he finally comply, finally said yes to God's way. It's almost like God had to box him in, had to bring him to a place where his choice was just to believe. And after he faced death, he now blesses Jacob with the blessing that neither he nor his father had ever received. This is now greater and neither Jacob or his sons would possess. Isaac blessed Jacob in faith, knowing that God will fulfill his promises in his own way, in his own time, and God will do the same in you. By faith, Isaac blessed. Oh, it's not pretty, it's not perfect, but it's faithful. And I pray that not only would we be faithful men and women, but that God would make us full of faith. Amen? So Father, thank you for this uh, section of the scripture for the strength and the stamina to deliver this message and the authority of your word and your power of your Holy Spirit. I know, God, that we are in some of the most challenging times we've ever experienced in our lifetime, but we want to respond in faith. We want to respond over and above. So we commit ourselves to you today and ask for you to pour out in abundance your love and grace in us and build us and build our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.